MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. I remember coming out of jail that night, and I remember calling the guy who sold it to me and like, listen, I need more because it was so good it almost killed me. You know, I wish people challenged me in other areas of my life. My wife is less than a quarter mile away from this scene. And she's about to find out that her husband is a heroin addict. You're a walking fucking miracle, man. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Today on the show, we have perhaps one of the best players to have his career and potential completely ruined by addiction. Compared to a lot of the guests we'll have on this show, you might not know him. So let me give you a little background. Chris got his own Sports Illustrated photo shoot, which in 1994 was about as big a deal as trending on Twitter for a week straight. I spoke with a number of Chris's former coaches, teammates, and opponents, including our resident two-time NBA MVP slash Charges executive co-producer Steve Nash, and he told me that Chris should have played in the NBA for 10, 12, 14 years. He played for two. Come join us today on a crazy and in some ways cathartic episode of Charges. Charges. 
With us today is Chris Herron, perhaps one of the best players to have his career and potential completely ruined by addiction. Chris was the pride of Fall River, Massachusetts, who became a McDonald's All-American. He would land at Boston College and go on and star at Fresno State under legendary coach Jerry Tarkanian, but we will get into why he changed schools later. He was drafted by the Denver Nuggets in the second round of the 99 NBA draft, 33rd overall, and then played for his hometown Boston Celtics the following season. He'd then head overseas to play basketball in China, Turkey, Italy, Poland, Iran. He did all of this while battling a massive drug addiction, a drug addiction so consuming that he would overdose and need to be brought back from the dead more than once. You might know of Chris if you're a true hoops junkie, which if you think about it, what a term, right? Or you may know him from the incredible documentary on him as part of ESPN's 30 for 30 series called Unguarded by Jonathan Hawk or his memoir, Basketball Junkie. Chris is an author, motivational speaker, and wellness advocate. Chris has founded three organizations that provide programs and services with the goal of overcoming setbacks and navigating life's challenges. It's my great honor to be here with Chris today. And Chris, I'm so glad you survived to talk with me, bro. No, man, I'm honored, honestly. You know, uh, you know. aside from everything you just talked about, um, you know, you were one of the reasons why I picked up a basketball. You know, there's no doubt about that. So I remember, you know, cutting out Sports Illustrated pitches of you. And uh, so it is, it's great to be here. And um, I'm glad we're here in this uh, talking about recovery and so on. That's really cool, bro. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I reached out to a, a guy yesterday who I spent time with in the NBA, a coach. Um, now he's not much older than I am, but I reached out to him yesterday because I told him, I said, weren't you, uh, with Chris at one point? And he said, yes. And I want to read you what he said. Mm. See if you can guess who it is. I'm sure you can. Wow. I love Chris. Everyone does. Most likable kid I ever coached. Even back then, very unselfish. Only player who would actually buy me lunch. I remember doing defensive slides with him on his recruiting trip in his hotel room, showing him we could teach him to guard the ball. He knew he could score, but was concerned he wouldn't be able to guard. Who was it? Johnny Welch. Johnny Welch. Johnny Welch. <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> How great is that dude? Yeah, he's the best. He, I the mean, best. listen, I wouldn't be here today. Um, he made me. You know, he brought me into the lab and created this basketball player. So... You know, without John Welch, I would have never made it past college. Um, but what people don't know about our relationship, too, is he was uh, instrumental into supporting my recovery as well as introducing me to recovery. So on so many levels, so impactful, you know, just a great man, a great mind, a great soul, and, uh, you know, nothing but cherished beautiful memories of Johnny Welch. That's so great to hear. Yes, truly. His son, Riley, yeah. has been playing here at Kentucky the last few years as a walk-on, so, and he just graduated, so I, I can't believe that. He was just a little guy, it seems like, yesterday. Right. You know, could you please, you know, set the scene where you're from, Fall River in Massachusetts? The city, mm -hmm. it seems like it shaped you, and as a kid from Kentucky, I can kind of understand that. Tell me about Fall River. You know, Fall River was a booming city back in the 20s and the 30s, textile, a lot of mills, um, but a lot of blue collar, a lot of blue collar people, hardworking. You know, the city in itself is a tough city, but 
you know, the lineage, the history of Durfee basketball, just, you know, growing up in that time, you know, the Celtics, you know, they were kind of second backseat to Durfee basketball to me as a kid. You know, Durfee basketball meant everything to me, you know, especially with no internet and no access. You know, all I cared about was Tuesdays and Friday nights going to watch Durfee basketball. So, you know, my father played hoop. My brother was unbelievably successful as a high school basketball player. Did you guys play together, you and your brother? He no. was older by too much, right? Yeah, yeah. So he, okay. you know, I came in his freshman year of college. So I was a freshman in high school when he was a freshman in college. You know, I was blessed with probably more athletic ability. He was blessed with more heart, in a sense, you know, and toughness. Nah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's six nah. five. He, he's six. I know, but come on. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I was blessed with enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, accept it. Yeah, accept yeah, it. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, he was a tough act to follow, and playing in front of, as you know, thousands and thousands of people as a 14, 15-year-old kind of shapes you, and sometimes negatively. I understand that, man. I, You know, I the town I grew up in, 60,000 people, Owensboro, Kentucky, and four high schools. My dad coached, he played, he played an old ABA, but he, you know, I was always Wayne Chapman's son, but he coached at Apollo High School. And that's all I wanted to do, it was the only thing I wanted to do. I went to his practices every day, nothing else mattered. And, you know, as I grew up, you know, started getting better and better and stuff, but it was always rewarded you know, positively when that's all I knew how to do. I didn't give a shit about anything else, school, nothing else, you know? So I wonder, you know, how similar that might've been for you playing for Durfee. Completely. You know, I often tell people, especially when I speak to kids, like, you know, I wish people challenged me in other areas of my life. You know, like I wish somebody came up to me and, you know, and said, you're really good at basketball, but you really struggle you know, being yourself mm -hmm. and you can play and perform in front of a lot of people and score a lot of points, but you really struggle with yourself on a Friday night with kids that you've known your whole life. So, you know, in my, my mission today and all the public speaking I do and all the kids I'm in front of, you know, it's about awareness. It's about, you know, challenging our children socially and emotionally and exposing them to different life skills, coping skills, skills that I never had. And, you know, I'm listening to you talk about, you know, you didn't care about school and you didn't, it was just hoop. And internally, I kind of cringe, right? Because that's, yeah. that's the it's thing. It's awful. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I'm most embarrassed by, you know, Same. is that lack of effort that I put in into so many other areas of my life. Lack of curiosity. That's what gets me. Sure. You know, just I didn't care. If somebody did tell me I was messing up, I remember them telling me in school sophomore year and i had no plans on leaving school early but they said rex you, you know this is class you're gonna need and i was like i'm not gonna need that i'm not gonna need that and then i left and then guess what that degree would have been coming really handy about seven or eight years ago yeah, yeah. right yeah you know i couldn't even coach basketball because i don't have a degree right so you're in high school you're dominating though on the court mm -hmm. you know but off the court what were your vices what were you doing drinking smoking you know and did that affect your game at all as a high schooler you know i i think so drinking and smoking primarily occasional pills right if i could get my hands on 
if some volume or yeah, if some you know, parent, if, yeah. If some parent had surgery, we'll get a hold of their Vicodins. Um, wow. Someone you know had their wisdom teeth pulled, or you know one of our friends had a little arthroscopic surgery. So we weren't afraid of that. From the outside looking in, I would say a lot of people would not have projected my struggle because the game of basketball took me away from it. It was an escape. Sure. Those two hours and you're dominating, you know, you feel superhuman in many ways, right? Yeah, and, and not to mention the fact too, like, you know, AAU was just kind of coming into its own and it was yet to be taken over by the sneaker companies, but I was playing, you know, 70, 80 games a summer, right? So I'm traveling to Vegas, to Tennessee, to Florida. So I'm away from the scene. It's just when I come back to the scene, right? I come back and, and I dive right in. Part of me, and I don't know if you struggled with that, but I wanted to be normal. And, you know, like I was envious of the kids who didn't have, you know, all this pressure, you know, and this ability. And I just wanted to be normal. Right. And, you know, it is kind of like the whole, be careful what you wish for. I, sure. I dreamt like all of my friends from age eight to grow to be able to play basketball. They all dream for it. And then it happened to me. You know, I just wanted to get a scholarship somewhere. What I wasn't prepared for was I was so socially inept. If I wasn't around my good friends, when I came to Kentucky, part of me coming to Kentucky was that I got to bring two of my boys from high school to live in the dorm. Yeah, that was the deal. That was the deal, a part of the deal. So, and they did. Uh, you know, they lived downstairs. My twins, Kevin and Keith Vanderpool, they're my boys to this day. But I almost had no confidence mm. around anyone else. I got really weirded out with people looking at me, mm. not wondering if they were talking about me, talking yeah. shit about me, or are they loving me up? And, and our insecurities, 90% of the time, they're lining me up. You know, they're sizing me up. They're not saying, oh, look at Chris Heron, what a good guy. You know, I'm exactly. thinking immediately they're talking shit about me. So, um, and that's alcoholism at its best in a sense, right? Is untreated alcoholism. But, um, you know, I too did not have the deal on the table of bringing my homeboys to Fresno, but they, <laughs> but they Probably came. Probably a good thing. No, yeah. no. <laughs> I know they were there. <laughs> but they came anyway. We're going to get to that, but part of that high school thing and I didn't win, Chris. I didn't win in college. We were good, but we didn't win it. But we won the third region to go to the state tournament my junior year in high school. And it might, I feel, because all my boys got to do that. Sure. They got to go and play in Rupp Arena. I knew I was going to go and play later. But it's, it, you know, so that high school thing special, is man. huge. It's yeah, special. It's special. It's, you know, and, and unfortunately, right, so... During high school, they were writing a book about, you know, Four of a Dreams. And, you know, in that book are quite a few of my friends. And, you know, we all struggled, right? We all struggled, like, whether it was heroin, cocaine, alcoholism. And, you know, I say to kids all the time, like, you know, that's the scariest thing about addiction. Nobody knows who has it yet. You know, nobody knows who's going to be the one suffering so much as an adult you know, because of some of the decisions we're making today. And, you know, to grow up and walk to school with these kids and go to elementary and recess and play hoop in their driveways and, you know, go down to parks and then fast forward 20 years later and we're all shooting heroin and jamming coke up on those. You know, it's tragic. It is. 
take me to your dorm room at Boston College. You know, cocaine's a serious step up from weed and booze and pills. Um, yeah. And that wasn't that long after Lenny Bias had died, which was a huge deal nationally and especially in Boston. Uh, what was it about that coke that intrigued you? Because I played against guys with guys who did coke, who and they were a fucking nightmare to guard. <laughs> <laughs> and I assumed if I did that, I would A, die right away, or I would love it. And so I never did it. So I'm really intrigued to know. And how did it make you feel playing as well? It probably would have had the same exact effect on you that it did on me. Um, because, and only people that really partied on Coke can identify with this, but it was kind of my truth serum. It allowed me at 3.30 in the morning to sit there on a couch and talk about who I was, my feelings, what I'm struggling with. Yeah, it, wow. it just opened me up and it made me unbelievably transparent and vulnerable. Now, you know, at three o'clock the next afternoon when I'm just shaking it off and waking up, I'm like, what did I talk about? You know what I mean? But Right, right, right. At that moment, you know, that social awkwardness that you talked about, you know, it- It, it was still out. Yeah, and it takes that away. It takes that away and, and it kind of, it allows you to kind of spill your guts. Um, that was one of the attractive things to me. You know, obviously I had no idea, you know, how attracted I'd be to it. You know, I, I truly said it and I meant it, you know, because of Lenny Bias, right? I'm saying to myself, I'll do this one time and I'll never do it again and 14 years later. Um, but it's a tough drug. My dorm room, you know, 18 years old, five in the morning, and I'm watching kids carrying their backpacks going to class. And, you know, I was just, I couldn't identify, right? And I'm depressed and I'm digging a hole. And I just remember the Boston College athletic director, you know, bringing me into his office and saying, we need to help you. And I need you to to write down who your teachers are so I can contact them. And I was like, buddy, I don't even know my teachers, you know? <laughs> but, but, yeah, I'm with you. And that was like three months in, four months in, you Golly. know what I mean? I, I, just, I just didn't know them. I wasn't going. And, you know, I say that laughing because you and I can identify, but also with great embarrassment. After breaking his wrist during a Boston College home game in November of 1994, things started going off and into the rails of cocaine addiction. Within three months of his injury, Chris failed two more drug tests for marijuana and cocaine use. He was expelled from the team and the university. So you get kicked out of BC. Uh, how crushing was that? You, you know, you live not far away. Yeah, it was crushing. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. You know what I mean? I was doing a lot of coke, uh, a lot of partying. It's embarrassing, right? So I had just got done being a feature in Sports Illustrated, coming off the McDonald's All-American game. BC was, you know, we had a top five recruiting class, so there were high expectations, and then it's over. And any, in hindsight, right, my mother, she's at the time, you know, 39 years old, and she's got to find out her son has a major cocaine addiction, you know, so it's just devastating on so many levels. I can dive into it a little bit more today than I did at 18. I was just like, yeah, big mistake, let's keep it moving, you know? If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick 
and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. When you go to Fresno, in the middle of nowhere, friends, they move out there with you. Uh, do you ever think, man, I got to find a way to stay away? Uh, or did you think, you know, these are my people, they'll help keep me safe? No. Could you even negotiate that? <laughs> I wouldn't keep them safe. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. I remember growing up as a kid and I remember, you know, parents say, oh, you got to stay away from that kid, you know? And, and I'm like, you have no idea. Their parents are saying the same thing about me, you know, like... Yeah. You know, people tell me like you can't hang out with your friends. Those friends don't shouldn't be hanging out with me. You know? <laughs> I mean, let's keep it real, right? So right. I fly out to Fresno and I get put in the arms of Danny Tarkanian and John Welch. And that year of sitting out was so there was so much relief. 
right? No pressure. You were crushing them, bro. Yeah. I mean, crushing them. Your body, you, you know, you were looked tight. Different. You could tell yeah. you look different. If you look at my sophomore year, that redshirt year to my sophomore year, my body, Johnny Welch had my body like I was a fighter. You know, I was ready. And he put me in that position. And, you know, we played. There were some great players at Fresno and extremely competitive. Johnny Welch could play. And oh, he could play, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got after it, too. <laughs> totally. Got after you. Yeah. And, you know, he'll listen to this, but what Johnny Welch won't tell anybody, I think he's 0 for 3 on right hooks on me. <laughs> <laughs> I ducked them all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. You you got some fighting in your background, too. And I know he does, too. He, he gives no fucks, man. I mean, nah, on the court. Doesn't. Nicest guy, though, off the court nicest guy yeah yeah the great and future hall of famer jerry tarkanian may he rest in peace gave chris a second chance to play by bringing him cross country to fresno state in 1995. chris made his debut for the bulldogs but after a breakout season under coach tark chris's addiction caught up to him once again chris failed a drug test during his junior year and was forced to go to rehab the first of many trips he would make over the next several decades I saw your press conference. Mm. I saw your press conference mm -hmm. and just started bawling. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I could see you couldn't look. You couldn't look at yeah. anybody. Yeah. The breaking news concerns one of Jerry Tarkanian's star basketball players. There's a news conference about to get underway at Fresno State. And you, perhaps some of you may know, I have been battling a personal problem for the past four years. But I'm here today to tell everyone that I had a setback and that I slipped up. It is time for me to focus. I get my life back in order. In discussion this week with my doctors, coach, and athletic director, it became clear that I should step away from the basketball program at Fresno State for a few weeks. I promise I will be back to give you all my best effort. Thank you. Now this was June 1999, but imagine this scenario happening in today's 24-7 news cycle. A top draft prospect battling addiction coming soon to an NBA team near you. Today's NBA franchises wouldn't touch Heron or anyone else with a 10-foot pole. A true testament to just how gifted he was as a player. Talent tends to have executives turning a blind eye or two to holes in character. For Chris, it was more of a growing chasm, ever eroding before our eyes. What do you remember about your, you know, your pre-draft workouts and draft night uh, specifically? You know, I, I remember just in complete fear, right? Like if it wasn't for Dan Essel, Dan Essel gave me a little bit of comfort, you know, like he- Kentucky he, Wildcat, Dan Yeah, Essel. no doubt, no doubt. Uh -huh. And I remember working out for the Nuggets and him throwing me in his car and driving me back down to the Pepsi Center. And- you know, we both shared stories about our childhood and what we had to face and what we went through. And I felt that if at 33, Danisa was going to take me after our conversation. So that gave me a little comfort. I was sitting. Okay. That was kind of your backstop. No doubt. Right. And it okay. was a very guard dominant draft, like Baron Davis and Steve Francis and William Avery and Vontigo coming. There was just a lot of guards going in the first yeah. round. So. You know, I fell and I, I waited for, you know, Dan Issel and, and I was fortunate enough to land there. I, uh, it was a party 
the streets shut down in Fall River. Uh, you know, we were escorted in, my wife and I, and, you know, the party began, the celebration began. And it was just another mountain to climb, though. You know, like, as exciting as it was, like, I saw another mountain. And I was like, fuck, man, I got to climb this one, too. I, I watched your, your draft footage, and I was just, every pick that went by, of course, like, every fan, I'm just crushed and crushed. And for your wife, Heather, and... And you're a young man you, who's already been in rehab, man. Yeah. Who's already been in I can't imagine that. But on the drive down to the party, you were so excited, so excited in the car. And you got out and immediately you got in, up in front of these people and you, they're your people, but you got emotional. You felt like you had something to prove still. It was beautiful and heart wrenching all at the same time. I thank everyone for coming down here. This has been... We all fought for this for a long time, and everyone stood behind me throughout this whole thing. And 33, number one, it feels the same. And it's just time to relax and have fun, and let's enjoy the party and get that You know, so many emotions, right? So much hard work, so much, you know, commitment. You know, all the people who questioned me and my addiction. And like you said, you know, being in rehab at 20 and 21 years old and facing that adversity to finally get there. But the for me, it was a little different, right? Like when I jumped on that plane to go to Fresno, I had no plans on playing in the NBA. I had zero plans. I just wanted to be a good college basketball player, and I wanted to prove myself at that level. John Welch put that dream in me, and he made me realize, well, maybe I can. So it was hard work. It was a lot of dedication. It was a lot of discipline, but there was a lot of sadness to it, and there was a lot of emotion attached to it. So I was so far away from living in the moment. You know, the way we live, the way I live today, living one day at a time, I was so far away from that mindset. And I just wish that I could have cherished those moments when they, they weren't cherishable. Bro, I feel so much of what you're saying. You know, I reached out to several people that I know knew you mm -hmm. for this, you know, uh, Rick Pitino, mm -hmm. Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, yep. every last one of them talk about what a good player you were, what a great guy you are. Your teammates always loved you, and that speaks volumes. So you're in Denver your rookie year, and I think you played out there with a couple, well, at least with one guy, Dice, Antonio McDice. He was my young guy in, in yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, but then he ends up out there with you guys and Nick Van Exel. Uh, who else was on that team, and, and what was it like playing on that team? Was it, and what was your holy shit, I'm in the NBA moment? Phenomenal, phenomenal team. Just men, right? Bryant Stith. Mm -hmm. Popeye Jones, Roy Rogers, uh, Antonio Roy Rogers. McDice. Um, Jumping Ray, jacks. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ray, Rafe LaFrance. Um, yeah. Just a lot of Chauncey Billups. Ron Mercer was on that team um, for a little bit. And just a lot of salt-of-the-earth type dudes. George McLeod, who I spent most of my time with, right? Big George. I played with George. I know. Big George 
Roy Rogers and McDice. Great teammate. You know, he was he was a special guy, and they were all, you know, they embraced me. Antonio took care of me. You know, I could honestly, like, I love Antonio McDice for what he did for me. Uh, dude, one of the sweetest people you'll, you'll ever meet, right? No doubt. Humble, kind. Very kind, very soft. And, you know, I was playing my NBA moment, um, you know, just one of them, and it includes Dice. I was coming down the court, and I just threw it. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is going in the third <laughs> row. And he just came out of nowhere and was like, Man. I'll take that. And I was just like, that's the NBA. Welcome to the NBA. I'm telling you. It wasn't an amazing. We used to, because when I was playing, and probably that it still had illegal defense. So what we would do, I'd run a side pick and roll. Dice would come out. And when they would push it down to the baseline, I would just fly straight to the baseline, running out of bounds, because they couldn't help on the weak side and Dice would go to the rim and I just just throw it up yeah, and totally. he would catch it anywhere. I mean, imagine being able to do that. <laughs> totally. He uh <laughs> but see when I was with them, you got spurts of that, right? Like moments. He became just like this unbelievable turnaround 17 footer. 17 foot jump shooter, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> just amazing. Uh, automatic. Yeah. I know. Automatic. Automatic. So um you know, but many moments. I remember Dennis looking down the bench and saying, like, come on in, you know, and, and entering that game for the first time. Um, you know, I remember having such fear. You know, like the guards today, they don't experience, you know, getting put in the post. And, you know, being a 6'1", 6'2", white kid, I'm like, Gary Payton, Jason Kidd, like these guys are gonna drag me down into the block tonight. You know, I would lose sleep over that. Yeah, yeah. oh, same as me. You know, I played in an era where Clyde Drexler and MJ and, and Glenn Rice are the twos, and yeah. I'm just gonna get posted up all night. I better <laughs> yeah. be really good on the other end. <laughs> totally. Right? Oh, or yeah, need, just a completely different game. I needed like 12 fouls if I was gonna, <laughs> if I was gonna guard that. Um, exactly. But. You know, that experience in Denver was, it was beautiful. It really was. Like, I had my moments, you know. I remember, and George McLeod, he'll remember this. I remember, you know, being at the Rolex in Miami. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah, that was, right. yeah. and that was before Rick Ross made it pretty, right? Like, the Rolex was grimy. And, yes, yes, dirty. And I didn't go back with the rest of the guys. And I just remember coming in at like 4.30, 5.30 in the morning and Big George kind of like grabbing me and saying like, this isn't how we're doing it. You talk about that team with such reverence. It's like I, a couple of my Phoenix teams, you know, where I just felt I was playing my best. You know, what breaks my heart is that this is your rookie year. And that's what I asked Stevie Nash. I said, how good was Chris? He said, he was really good. And he said, you know, who knows? Mm. But there was no reason he shouldn't have banged out 10, 12, 14 years in the NBA. And maybe whatever happened was going to happen. I just wish that you could have had a little bit more of that in Denver for another couple years to maybe see if, you know, some of that behavior that you were exhibiting could have become habit. No right? doubt. And that growth, right? I had a lot of growth that year, you know, to be with Chauncey and watch the and Popeye Jones. And they were very selfless, right? I played with very selfless men that year, and they were older. So I remember getting traded to the Celtics, and I was supposed to be excited, and I was heartbroken. 
It's a dream come true. Growing up right down the street is, uh, it's an amazing thing. It's for this day to come. Uh, you know, I dreamed about this a long, long time ago as a little kid, so I can't say enough about it, you know? I've also been traded more than once in my career, and let me tell you, it's hard having to uproot your whole life, family, and future. October 17th, 2000, a day that changed Chris's life forever. On this day, Chris Heron and Bryant Stith were traded to the Boston Celtics by the Denver Nuggets on Monday for Robert Pack and Calvert Chaney. I can't even imagine how conflicted Chris must have felt heading from a group of veterans in Denver who had his back to a Celtics team in search of chemistry years before reestablishing a championship pedigree. Chris was nearly 25. That trade back home was the beginning of the end for him in the league and the start of his road to a life where he would play only 25 games in Celtic green. He would never make it back to the NBA. When you get traded to the Celtics, it kind of falls apart. Tell me about what you were doing, who you're doing it with, uh, and how that double life felt. Ah, uh, brutal, right? It was, you know, 22 hours a day were dedicated to keeping this secret. And the other two was to practice with Rick Pitino. You know, so, you know, I was introduced to Oxys. It was, you know, right, right around 1999, 2000. Same, right? same. And yep. it wasn't in the headlines, it, you know, the headlines. No, we were on the cutting edge. Yeah, we were exactly <laughs> we were on the cutting edge. Yeah. And at and at that time they were calling it hillbilly heroin. That's what they were calling it back then, hillbilly heroin. And it seemed to settle, you know, in the Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, and then it skipped and it went up to Maine, and then it worked its way down. But I just, as I say, I, I'm one of the unfortunate ones that takes a painkiller and feels phenomenal. Same. You know, I wish I was that guy who threw up and couldn't take it. It does do that thing that we talked about earlier, though. I remember taking it in two days. I knew I was in love. Mm. What it did, it made me feel nicer. I, I, like people would come up to me, chatty. People would come up to me and, you know, people maybe at one of my son's baseball games that only wants to talk about basketball. And all of a sudden I was talking to him about basketball. I felt like a nicer, better person. Right. And that was pretty alluring to me. And I can only imagine it had to feel a bit the same. No doubt. And, you know, it's, I jumped, you know, from 40 milligrams to 1600 milligrams quickly, you know? Like I would be out with people and they would know the extent of what I was taking and they would shake their head. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's just to get right. You know, like I didn't- yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, spot. right. You know, I'm functioning, I'm playing, I'm practicing. Um, did your body ever give out? Only when I didn't have it. Right. It's when I didn't have it, then that's when, yeah, that's yeah. when, You're sick. yeah, so sick. So if I had it, I was okay. And that doesn't mean I was okay. I could have had Oxycontin every day and never felt that sickness. And my career would have nosedived, you know, because the grind, you know, the time, the energy, the emotion that's put to that addiction is just ruthless. And, you know, all of the other things that come along with it, the health and some of the things that you go through when, you know, uh, heavily dependent on opiates. But a lot of lonely nights, man. A lot of, yeah, man. A lot of lonely nights. And I just remember, I remember going to bed at night and saying to myself, like, what is it going to be like when everyone finds out? You know, 
what is this no, what does this right? gonna look like and you feel like a fraud no doubt. i felt like a fraud big time yeah. big time 100 percent. and uh you know i was just saying this there was a time especially during the celtics right i had access to money and i would deal with guys and and i would show up and i would buy you know 30 40 oxys and they would pull me to the side and say like, Chris, like you have a lot of money, man, just buy in bulk. Why do you keep coming out? And in hindsight, looking back at that behavior, like sadly, I just wanted that day to be my last day, you know? Yeah, that's it. So I just kept coming every day. You know, when I could have dropped 20 grand on the table and said, give me and paid a lot less for it. Um, right, right. But I didn't want that many on me because I had the, the ambition and the goal to quit but I didn't have the tools. Yeah, it reminds me, I same. I was just fortunate that I was finished playing. Well, I really wasn't. I had another three years left on my deal, but I was hurt and all of that. However, the second I took OxyContin, I never played another game in the NBA. I retired shortly thereafter because that's all I wanted to sure. do. And I remember driving from Phoenix down to Tucson, you know, couldn't get them from the doctors anymore. I'm taking like 50, 60 Viking a day, about 10 oxys, and just chewing them up, you know? And so at some point, and I got tired of running around to dealers. So somebody told me, hey, you can go down to Tucson right out the back of CVS, you know, meet my boy down there. And so two or three times, man, I drove from Tucson back to Phoenix and probably speeding, you know, in a sports car. And I've got four big bottles of oxy under you know 500 a piece in there so 2000 pills if i'm pulled over and they're for me they are for me <laughs> you're not uh, you're not but sharing. if i'm pulled over <laughs> no i'm not sharing them and so if but if i'm pulled over just they're taking me to prison this is with intent to distribute and that's the end because they're not going to believe that i'm taking all that shit it's mind-boggling to me how many times did you get in trouble with the law do you remember you know, the law started coming when heroin came. A former high school basketball star is in trouble with the law. Chris Heron made a name for himself at Durfee High School in Fall River before playing at Fresno State and going tow. On Friday, Heron was arrested in Portsmouth on drug charges. Investigators claim heroin residue was found in his car. That's when I really started to struggle as far as dealing with with law enforcement because the overdoses right and and that's another thing like i did most of my heroin and most of my oxys in the car like i would drive down get it do it and go back to my home empty-handed right so most of my use was between point a and point b right from the dealer's house to my house it was all gone so there was a lot of you know multiple times i overdosed um you know, while in my vehicle, so DUIs and so on and so forth started coming pretty regularly. You know, when I overdosed for the first time, it was in 2004, and, you know, I was in a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through, and I took my foot off the brake, and boom, I bump into the woman in front of me. You know, when I come through, and, uh, you know, there's blue bags everywhere, a hypodermic needle, and I'm like, my life just changed forever and everybody who loved me, you know, like my wife is less than a quarter mile away from this scene and she's about to find out that her husband is a heroin addict. And, you know, the next day, the Boston Herald, the headline was what a shame. 
Is that your rock bottom? No, is that your gosh, rock bottom? gosh, no, no, no. I had so many of them. Um, you know, and that's the thing, right? Like it's every day, you know that, like every day is low, you know, like there's no <sighs> good days. There's no good days when, you know, I'm looking at my children and I'm then going to the ATM machine to spend $500. Yeah, it's maddening and it's psychotic. You know, you you said it so well. I mean, one moment, all we can think about is ourselves. And then the next moment, the second we get in trouble or whatever, we start thinking about all those people who love us. Of course. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. And listen, you know, 2004, people weren't really overdosing on heroin, right? Like it was so uncommon that it almost somewhat flew under the radar, you know, like mm -hmm. it, weirdly. It did. But, you know, I uh, I remember coming out of jail that night and I remember calling the guy who, who sold it to me and like, listen, I need more because it was so good it almost killed me, you know, and that's how sad we are. You know, that's how sick we get that we wake up every day to pay to take a chance at dying, you know. Every day we chase death for that feeling, you know? So I remember going on the Texas road trip, right? And I'm like, fuck, like Texas, that means we're gone for like seven days, eight days. No shit, that's stressful, man. Right? So yeah. I would just fly them. I would FedEx fly them down. So when I got to certain hotels, whether it's in San Antonio or Dallas, the concierge would say, Yo, you know, Mr. Herring, you have a package, you know? That wow. was a full-time job. While Chris's career would continue overseas, this would begin a downward spiral of drug use and charges, tabulating seven felonies in all. This included a then 33-year-old Heron being arrested for alleged heroin possession after police found him slumped over the steering wheel of his vehicle in June 2008. The car was partially on the sidewalk with its engine running and in gear, police said. With the amount of times Chris used in his vehicle, it's blind luck he didn't hurt anyone and that he lived to share his story. I remember, you'll like this, I'm playing in, in Turkey, in Istanbul, and I had a guy ship me out a bunch. And I remember going to the place to pick it up and I open up the package and all the pills are gone. And a guy in customs wrote me a nice note saying like, this is unbelievably disappointing that this is what your life has turned to. Like, get some help for your family, man. And he took them all. But I could see all the green oxy from the 80s still stuck to the newspaper. But the buildup to that was, I had an inclination walking into that package place in Istanbul that someone had gone through my package. And when they walked out, it was wrapped in yellow tape. And they said, do you want to claim this? And I was like, 100%, I want to claim that. Just in case, right. just in yeah. case, <laughs> you know, so. Holy shit. Yeah, so the madness that comes with, you know, with that drug, the desperation, um, you know, it was an everyday thing. Yeah. Um, I want to take a moment, if you're comfortable, talking about, you know, getting clean. I was in rehab three times, and I want to tell you just from, I've always been, felt very fortunate, especially after going to rehab, that. I never stuck a needle in my arm. Mm. You're a walking fucking miracle, man. You know, it, it It was long odds making it to the NBA. Sure. But what you're doing now, well, it's life-changing, not just for you, but for a lot of people. Talk to me about your, 
getting clean, the sobriety, how, you know, I know everybody's different. You and I, we had to get off of opioids, which is essentially heroin, right? And in your case, actual heroin. So uh, what was your process of getting clean? You know, towards the end, I was so out of money, right? Like we were living so rough. Do you remember, see how you say that right now? And you say it and it just rolls out. I say it myself, but I also remember there was a time where that was, I was terrified of, what if I have to say that someday? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And, you know, like we're talking, you know, not enough money to pay bills, no lights, no heat. And, and we were living rough and I had run out of things to sell, you know, the pawn shops wanted nothing to do with me anymore. So I was, I primarily was become a vodka drinker, right? Vodka shuts the noise off. It hits you quick. And occasionally I would mix heroin in and, you know, that last overdose to, you know, wake up at 32 and, you know, all I could think about was killing myself. Like, I was like, you know what? Like, I can't do this to my kids anymore. You know, like my poor children, you know, they deserve so much more than what I'm giving them. And you hit a pole, right? Yeah. You hit a pole. Yeah. And they, you were supposedly dead for 30 seconds. Is that true? Well, just Narcan, right? The Narcan brings yeah. you back. Oh. So is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. So, so Narcan. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Narcan brought me back, and um, wow. I, bro. I just remember waking up and saying to myself, like, you know, I have to find a way to end my life, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, there's multiple ways I can do it, but. I just remember suicide being such a strong thought. Um, and a lot of that came from not wanting to face the people who loved me and not wanting to, you know, completely unravel my wife's life. You know, my wife sacrificed so much to stay with me. Like she went against her loved ones, her family's request to leave me. So long story short, the recovery process is Chris Mullen, you know, like Chris Mullen Molly. and Mully yeah. and Liz, you know, they made a connection to a guy named Murph and Murph connected me to Daytop. And, you know, I checked in and at 32 years old, I was introduced to a different way of treatment. It was behavioral modification. It was a therapeutic community, which means, you know, very aggressive, authoritative, you know, like, no phone calls if your bed's not made, if your socks aren't rolled, if your clothes aren't color coordinated. I was living in a room with eight people. I got screamed at to put my feet on the floor in the morning. So a different world. And But, you know, a month and a half into that, Heather's given birth to Drew. And, yeah. you know, I got a little bit of time under my belt. I'm feeling somewhat confident. I got a community of like 80 guys who I'm living with. And I'm like, I'm going to go home and do this. And I failed and I relapsed that day and thankfully I made it back. And I was one of the lucky ones because um, I stayed in treatment or some form of treatment for almost 11 months. And it was almost 11 months before I made it back Good for you. Yeah, to my family. But unbelievable story, side story is Murph, Murph, who Molly introduced me to, who got me the scholarship at Daytop. He changed my life. He saved my marriage. He talked to my wife every single night when I was in Daytop after I relapsed. Now, Murph 
was a super fan of Mully. Two years later, Mully's being inducted to the Hall of Fame. And I will be in attendance, and all I care about is that Murph is going to be there, and I finally get to high-five, hug, kiss, you know, the guy who saved my life. And Murph dies of a heart attack in Penn Station. I never meet him. I never met the man. I never met the man that saved my life. And I was hours away from hugging this dude and he passed away. You know, the Mullins opened the door and Murph, he spent countless hours counseling my wife and helping me without me knowing. Makes me want to cry, man. Right? If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes me want to cry. So 
you know, as I tell people in my wellness center, right, like get comfortable with monotony, you know, because recovery can be very monotonous at times. You know, you're going to listen to the same stories. You're going to hear the same voices, but you're blessed to be present for that monotony. And, you know, for 11 months, I laid this foundation with the help of so many guys and women, you know, and that foundation has given me, you know, 12 and a half years. When did you decide you wanted to tell people about, you know, <laughs> these horrible things that have happened in your life? And what was the goal? So didn't have one, right? I was driving around repossessing vehicles, you know, with a childhood friend, and I lost my license, right? I had to, you know, three DUIs under the influence of heroin. I lost my license so many times. So now that job's gone, and I'm in a meeting, and, you know, this guy who has 25 years sober says, I got a woman who's going to give you the keys to a, a school gymnasium. You're going to teach basketball. So I started teaching hoop. Wasn't it therapeutic? Oh, it was beautiful. You know, I'd be in the gym with some kids who could really hoop. And then I, you know, the next session is a, you know, a little fifth grade girl with hairy legs who can barely reach the rim. You know what I yep. mean? So, yep. but it was all a beautiful experience for me because I'll tell you this, those parents who dropped their children off to me first I will always be indebted and unbelievably grateful that they gave me that chance. You know, that I'm with you. I did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Out in LA. I did that for a couple of years. And uh, you know, they knew me. Mm. Their parents knew me. The kid didn't yeah. know me. Right. Their parents knew me and they trusted me. And but when I watched you coaching these kids, you're perfect with them. You were so good with them. What relationships do you have uh with guys in the league or college? And do you ever have a, a desire to get into basketball in that regard, in that capacity? So while I was teaching basketball, a woman called and she said, you know, I know you lost your license and I want you to come to my school to speak. And um, she said, I, I don't have a budget for it. I can just give you a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. So I went on to speak in her class, word of mouth, went on to a couple of more high schools. And the next thing you know, I'm speaking, you know, 200 times a year. And, you know, in the speaking game is it's all word of mouth, right? If you don't bring it and if you're not authentic and you're not, you know, responsible in front of those children, no superintendent or principal is going to say, hey, bring him in. So I'm very proud that I've been able to do this for almost 10 years. It was not planned. You know, I don't have many relationships. Um, you know, I do. I do have relationships, but you but, do. No, I do. But a lot of it too, stems from people circling back for help, right? And they, they know that I'm available and they know that- That's you know, important. I'm, yeah, totally. Yes. So, but Billy Donovan is a special dude. Um, you yeah. know, you said that and Chauncey Billups is an unbelievable man. Uh, Johnny Lucas, at times we cross paths, um, you know, and oddly, a lot of my stuff is football. I spend more time with football than I do with basketball. Um, really? Yeah, so, you know, whether it's going into Alabama, I'm with Alabama multiple times every year uh, with Saban. So a lot of football guys, a lot of, you know, I've been working with Alabama for 10 years. I've been with Florida State and Jimbo, then transitioned to Texas A&M. Um, you know, Stoops, Stoops, who was- Mark. Yeah, yep. who was at Our, Kentucky. My guy, yeah. He was with Jimbo um, at Florida State. That's when I first met him. So- the football game has been really good to me. I do a lot of work with the NFL, with, uh, and I did the rookie symposium every year for the NBA. That's great. 
Let's say it, it is. It's really powerful what you're doing. Uh, if you were playing today, 21-year-old Chris Heron in today's NBA, mm. imagine. I wouldn't be imagine. afraid of the post. <laughs> That's right. That right? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be afraid of the I post. I mean, Toronto, had, they were starting Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. I mean, you could have never... I love those guys. They're all-stars. But you couldn't have started that backcourt in the 80s and 90s. I mean, straight to the post, and you're just playing out of rotations all night long. Yeah, different You were game. built for this, right? You were yeah, built di- for this league. Different game. Totally different game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan, and I always will be. I'm unbelievably grateful for what the game gave me. Um, I believe, you know, the commitment that it required and the patience has also kind of transcended into my recovery, you know, that work ethic, you know, like you talked about in the opening, it's hard, you know, it it requires a lot of of due diligence and commitment. And, you know, there were a lot of times I didn't want to wake up to go to a gym to shoot at a little orange thing. And there's times I wake up and I don't want to walk into a meeting to claim my seat, but you know, I claim it. What's the Heron Project and Heron Wellness? So Heron Project was all about Mully, right? Like I wanted to be I wanted to be Chris Mullen. I wanted to make the phone call he made. And I wanted to make that phone call and witness somebody's life change. And like he did for me. And the Heron Project, you know, I started it 10 years ago, over $6 million worth of scholarships over the years. Fucking fantastic. Yeah, thousands and thousands of people have been put into treatment because of Heron Project. And you know, we support families. Um, we provide scholarships and sober living after. We give people sober coaches, recovery coaches. Um, so just an unbelievable organization that really stems from Murph and Mully. And Heron Wellness, you know, at, at 10 years sober, I took a chance. It was my dream, you know, to start this company and to be, you know, uh, part of the whole process. And, you know, Heron Wellness is located in Massachusetts. It's residential, people live there. We have 24 beds. I like it small, I like it intimate. I want people to get as much attention as they deserve. What advice would you give your younger self, teenager, or to listeners all over the world who might Mm. be struggling with addiction or or with a loved one who is? You know, I, I think when we're in the middle of that storm, it's so daunting, it's so far away you know, that the hope is gone. And even when kind of hope peaks its way back in and you really ask yourself, is it worth it? Like, I'm too far gone, man. Like, you know, uh, here I am, I'm 32, I'm shooting heroin. I have track marks on my arms. I'm smoking meth, um, multiple felonies, arrests, DUIs. Like, what am I gonna get sober for? Sobriety has tested me and has given me more you know, pride and confidence and just just such empathy for other human beings and, you know, and, and growth that I never, ever thought that I could attain. And, you know, that guy that we talked about, you know, back when we were 18 years old, socially awkward and needed our homeboys around, you know, recovery has replaced them and has provided me people that, you know, has guided me uh, for the last 13 years. So please don't lose sight of that. Please don't ever think it's too late because I would have never, ever imagined my life could be this good. Chris, uh, from the bottom of my heart, bro, uh, I want to thank you for joining me, sharing your story today. It means 
it, it really means the world to me. Um, if you ever need anything, please feel free to reach out. I, you know, you got my number. My door is always open. I'm wishing you nothing but the best, bro. We're in this together. Team game. No doubt. We, no doubt. But I do want to say this, and I mean this with all my heart. You were a childhood hero of mine. And, you know, and as you were of many, but I was one of those kids that fell asleep to your picture and wanted to dream the life you were living. And, uh, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been in the driveway. So I love you. Thank you. And we'll keep in touch. Much love, bro. Hey, make sure to follow Chris on Twitter at C underscore Heron, Heron Talks, at Heron Talks, at Heron Project, and at Heron Wellness. Thanks, bro. Thanks, no, Chris. No doubt. Thanks Thank for being you. Thanks for being an inspiration. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.